today I want to share with y'all uh, a word that is close to my heart. It's close to the Thales heart. It's something we talk about quite often. Um, it is the intersection between discipling people and hosting people. Okay. Um, how many of you are you're, you're familiar with with the the Great Commission? You know the Great Commission? Okay, if I don't show you the, the words on a page, okay, on a slide, can you recite the Great Commission starting with therefore? How many of you can do this? I'm going to count to three, okay? Okay, and we're going to hear it. It's going to be a cacophony because some of you are reciting it from NIV and some of you are reciting Okay, cool. I'm on this mic instead. Okay, ready? Great commission. Therefore, okay. Okay, therefore go lah. Okay, go. Okay, let's start with go. Ready? One, two, three. Wow. Wow. So let me do the reenactment. The reenactment goes like this. Go, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, teaching them to dot dot dot. So that's kind of, full marks, full marks on the front row. This time, worship team, worship team got that. Okay, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, this is where I started you off, right? Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Right? That's the Great Commission. Okay? That is how the Gospel of Matthew ends. It's not the last words that Jesus said to his disciples. If you read the book of Acts, you know, um, the last words he says to his disciples is, you know, uh, how many of y'all can know this? The last things Jesus says to his disciples before his ascension into heaven. Goodbye. A, goodbye. B, see y'all later. C, you will receive power when my Holy Spirit uh, descends upon you and you will be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria until the ends of the earth, right? Okay, so that's the final thing he says before they beam me up Scotty, okay? Not quite Scotty, Jesus, okay? Um, and that's a very, but this is, this is actually, if you look, that's that's how that, that that's like uh, you know in in Luke it's rendered um, in in Luke's writings right he he shows you that right in Mark the Great Commission is worded slightly differently and it's not that Jesus said one and not the other he probably said them all right and Jesus is always sharing to his people and in Mark is the one that says oh uh, uh, um uh, don't worry you you know when you when you do these things in my name you will drink poison and not die you will pick up snakes and so that's the Mark ending right. The, the Matthew ending is the Great Commission. We are all commissioned to the Great Commission, okay? The Great Commission is not you've got a sales job, you close a big deal, and you get a Great Commission, okay? 
is that's not the Great Commission, okay? Just so y'all know, the Great Commission is a biblical call to all of us to where to what go go where to the ends of the earth, right? To all the nations, go to all the nations. Now, sometimes when the scale is made so large, so huge, go to all the nations. We suddenly see all the nations and then we think like, oh, Great Commission is only about missionaries, right? It's not. It's not, not necessarily, right? That's right. Great Commission begins where you are and depending on what, how God calls you in the specifics, it will and may go to all the nations. And God moves people into all the nations. And then in the days we are living in, God moves all the nations towards people. Do you know this? Who wants to give a guess? How many, how many nationalities are represented in this room, even right now? How many nationalities are represented in this room, even right now? You're looking around, right? At least three. At least three, right? Uh, um, uh, we have, other than Malaysians, we have German in this room right now. Silka's German, right? Um, we have Nigerian, right? Uh, Prince is Nigerian, right? Uh, and we have, we have Bruneian. Do we have uh, officially Malaysian? Uh, um, do we have Singaporeans in this room, right? Right? Tracy's not Singaporean. Tracy's Malaysian. True blue Malaysian. True blue Malaysian, right? Um, uh, Jackson is true blue Malaysian. Jack, you're here. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh, yeah, okay, all right, all right, but we have, we have pseudo-Singaporeans, uh, one or two or three or four, you know, but, but God moves his people to all the nations and he moves all the nations also to his people and his call for us is to make disciples, Make disciples. Now, sometimes we get a little scared, not just of the all nations, we get scared of the make disciples part. And if you remember, uh, about a month ago, um, Pastor Balan Solomon shared with us, okay, it was a, one, a month ago, four weeks ago, right? Um, about the one thing that God is going to ask us, did you do this one thing that I asked you to do? which is my final commissioning to you, did you do it? Because I know you did a lot of other things. I know you set up lights. I, I know you, 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 you set up the worship team and you did the sound and you did the broadcast. I know um, you ran a lot of big events in church. I know you've done stadium rallies and I know you've done all kinds of things. I know you've done bazaars. Okay, we haven't done a bazaar yet. You know, maybe one day soon we will, right? Uh, I know you've done all these things, but have you made Disciples. And maybe we don't know how to start. And I remember that one part that Balan, uh, Pastor Balan shared that really touched me was he, he shared that disciple making should not be such a high bar because all you are asked to do is to lead someone else. If you have gone ahead in one little area, just lead that person to where you've gone. That's all that's asked of you, right? So it doesn't even, let's break it down even more. It's not even like, oh, I am more learned in the Bible, you know? Um, therefore, I'm, no, it's not even that. But let's just say you happen to have read um, the book of Jonah more recently and you, something is fresh in your mind, right? To disciple someone is to just 
bring someone who maybe has never read the book of Jonah or has read it a long time ago. This year, they haven't touched it yet. And just lead them into some of the revelation that God has given you. And that alone is an act, a small act, a small building block of discipling someone because someone is being led to walk and follow Jesus because of your input in their lives. Amen? So I don't want to draw the bar for discipling like so high until you think that I could never do this, only pastors disciple. No! We'll be finished if only pastors disciple. Because, gosh, then the Great Commission is the Great Pastoral Commission. But it's not. It's a, it's a commissioning to all of us. All of us, say me. Say me. Say me. Look at yourself, say me. Look at your hands. Everybody hold out your hands. I can't make you look at your own face. There's no mirror here, right? Look at your hands and say, these are discipling hands. I've, these hands have been called to disciple. How do hands disciple? Well, some of you actually repeat that question. Not bad. Not bad. Yeah, I wasn't counting on that. How do hands disciple? How do hands disciple? Right? I... I read this, Athalia, who is always the purveyor of all good things to read, okay? Um, if you want good reading, go to her. She, she, she gives me fantastic references. I, she showed me this over a year ago, okay? Um, it's her favorite, one of her favorite theologians. Uh, her name is Felicia Mason Heimer. And I've been, I, I inadvert vicariously, I've been reading uh, quite a lot of stuff from Mason Heimer as well. And Mason Heimer asked this question. If you aren't evangelizing on a regular basis, now I'm not going to ask you all to raise your hand, okay? okay? If you aren't evangelizing on a regular basis, if you aren't participating in online or real life ministry, if you aren't getting to know your physical neighbors, for each one, I want you to ask yourself, am I, am I, am I, okay? And if you aren't opening your home, how are you fulfilling the Great Commission? I think we need to be honest with ourselves. Whether we have taken the instructions, the commissioning from God seriously enough. Or whether it's just kind of one of those things that we say, we think, we kind of categorize it in my head that, oh, I'm attending church and some missionary out there is doing this already, you know, so it's fine. But I'm asking you today, bringing this question before you today. How are you fulfilling the Great Commission? Now, I ask that early because I understand it's not obvious what's an easy way to start. What's an entry point? What's a, what, what's, what's, where do I begin to start fulfilling this go make disciples? Well, I want to put it to you that if you don't know how to start. If you are not evangelizing on a regular basis, though I know some of you do, and we should all one day, we should all aspire to do one day as well. If you aren't participating in online or real life ministry, which I believe all of us should in one way or another, not necessarily in the confines of a church, but in some way ministering to someone, yes. If you aren't getting to know your physical neighbors, how many of you actually know the people you live uh, who live around you. I know Pastor Ramesh does, right? He's a residence man. So he knows the guards, he knows the people, he knows everybody, right? How many of us do? And if you aren't opening your home, how are we 
fulfilling the Great Commission? The answer is actually, you know what? Let's just work backwards. Let's try to open our homes. I think that's, that might be one of the easier places to start. You know, in Acts chapter 3, the early disciples, every time we say we want to think about what church should be like, often we go back to the book of Acts and we look at the early church and we see how the early church did things because I think over time, we can lose sight of what God's church ought to look like. And sometimes we start building a church in our own image, not in the image of the body of Christ. And so this is a good place for us to keep homing back to. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, which is what we are doing right now. We are devoting ourselves to the apostles' teaching, right? I'm just, I'm just the guy who works here, but the apostles' teaching is, is the, the word in your scriptures. And to fellowship, which is what we do every Sunday, we gather to celebrate resurrection, to celebrate life, to celebrate um, our salvation. And I know in November, we're going we're gonna to turn the tap down on the food, partly because of COVID, and suddenly a lot of cases, you know, but partly also because of, of um, the elections. We want to make sure everyone is fit and ready, no COVID spreading, so that you can actually go to polls, right? Um, and, and so uh, after elections, after November, then we'll, we'll relook at that, okay? But we are still fellowshipping all the time. And to the breaking of bread and to prayer, which is why Dominate, you know, Keeps, keeps going on, right? If not Saturday morning, then on polling weekend, on Friday night, right? But the breaking of bread, where do they do this breaking of bread? By the way, breaking of bread does not just mean like, and then like, you know, it means eating, okay? It's, a, it, it, it's an English expression. It means eating together, right? Where do they do this? Every day, they continue to meet together in the temple courts, they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. Church, there are a few things happening here that are very, very important to church life. We all know that meeting together in the temple courts, which is this, Okay, gathering, you know, uh, to worship collectively. Collective worship is an important thing, but today I'm not homing in on that. We know that praying together, as you saw in the last slide, was important. I'm not homing into that today, right? I want to show you today that one of the most underappreciated, maybe underutilized spiritual Disciplines, if I may even call it a discipline, a spiritual uh, part of our lives, is the breaking of bread together in homes. We neglect that sometimes. We, we, we live very individualized lives these days. And even as last week we had baby dedication, and one of the things we did at baby dedication was that all of you, those of you who are here anyway, made a commitment pledge to the parents. You all remember doing that? Now, why do we make the church make a pledge, a commitment to the parents? I mean, parents go do your thing, lah, right? All your parents go do your own thing, lah, masing masing, lah, right? Why? What's the church's role? Aren't we just here to be like semi strangers, semi church friends, you know? Like, what's my role in relation to how you parent? No, you do have a role. 
Your role is to be the church family. Your role is to say, I commit to being part of the tribe that's going to grow in Jesus with you. And your growth and my growth are linked to each other and I commit to being part of your journey. In the same way, you commit to be being part of my journey. And you know what? God created us to be communal, to be tribal. And we find ourselves in the 21st century living highly individualized lives. We live in our own little pigeonholes in the city, you know, where no one can touch us and we can touch no one, you know. And um, it was Simon and Garfunkel who sang the song, I Am A Rock right? Um, um, I'm a rock, I'm an island, a rock feels no pain, and an island never cries. You know, sometimes we distance ourselves from the world um, because we don't want to be hurt by people. Maybe people have hurt us before. We feel that, okay, I don't want to go um, near others, so I don't want to live in community, but God created us for community. And community is something that if you live without it, you are living unnaturally. You are living unnaturally if you're not living in and amongst other people and where your lives are touching each other's lives as well. That's why the breaking of bread together is so important. Now, i tell you something funny. This was totally unplanned. Preaching today about hospitality was unplanned. That over the last two years since we began this church, every November, I preach on hospitality. This was totally, uh, only when I started thinking, hey, didn't I preach this last year? Let me go find. Oh yeah, I preached this sermon where I showed you guys that, that Jesus, uh, uh, um, that the Bible has many pictures of meals. Right? So many of the major pictures of, uh, major things that happen in, in scriptures happen around meals. Whether it is the Exodus, you have the Passover meal. Whether it is Psalm 23, there's a table laid before you. Whether it is uh, um, the crucifixion, you have the Last Supper just before it. Or whether it's, a, it's, it's our reunion with God at the very end where you have the marriage supper of the Lamb. I showed you guys how meals are so important to God and how God wants us to have a welcoming culture in our church where we'll be generous to each other in terms of how we hold host each other at the table, right? I shared that with you last year. You can go to YouTube and, uh, and pull that up, right? On a three-peat, right? a, a, a three, a, a three, what do you call it? Never mind. <laughs> and the year before that, I shared with you in our Abraham series how Abraham, having witnessed these new people coming outside his tent, Actually, they were angels, right? They were angels. He didn't know, right? And he welcomed them. He was lavish. I mean, a poor guy, he had just gotten circumcised. He was in pain. He was hot, you know, but he brought out the best for his guests. He, he laid like a fantastic meal. Actually, Sarah had to make all the food, right? <laughs> but but the, the household feasted uh, uh, um, and hosted their guests with lavish generosity, right? And because of that, those angels gave Abraham a good word, right? You can go and check that out as well. All these, uh, all these sermons and all these resources are there in our YouTube account, right? Now, it's very important that we know this. Biblical hospitality is a call. It is an expectation God has of us. Now, you might say, whoa, God, whoa, whoa, slow down you don't get to have these expectations on me, 
Like, I, I don't respond to nobody's expectations. No. If you come before the Lord and you say thank you for dying on the cross, paying the price for my sins, saving me, you took my pain, and later we are going to take communion together to remember again the power of the sacrifice of Jesus. If we can say you substituted me by, with yourself, thank you. And Jesus now says, I have expectations of you now. Can he have expectations of you, church? You know, I think this is a language that we don't have or we have lost a bit of it um, these days. It is the language of patronage. You guys know patronage? Now, we understand the language of patronage in a very negative way, right? If I say patronage, what do you think? Master? Master and servant, okay? What Entitlement? What do you think of? Hey, what do you think of? You think of, um, you think of I'm no politicians, right? Okay? I, I know that's what I think of. When I hear the word patronage, I think of politics. I think of I'm no politicians. I have given you this contract. Enjoy it. When I need some help, I will come to you. I expect you to help me. And please, when 19th of November comes, I expect you to help me. I expect you to mobilize things for me, right? So, that contract, though it was freely given, okay, after it was given, there is a relationship. There is a relationship of, it's almost covenantal, almost. You can think of it almost covenantal. My, my personal favorite example, which I've shown you all before, is from the movie The Godfather. When the opening scene, right, Don Corleone is sitting in his little study room and then a man comes in and he's got a trouble because a bunch of boys beat up his daughter and he wants to get these boys killed and, 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 and the Don says, why should I help you, right? You've done nothing for me, you know. Um, um, uh, uh, I invited you, uh, you snubbed me before and the guy is like so sorry because now he's in trouble and now he really wants help, right? And he, and he goes up to the Don and he puts himself under submission to the dawn. And he kisses the dawn's ring. Right? And at that moment, when he kisses the dawn's ring, a covenant is being made. And the dawn says to him, I'm going to help you out. Okay, with these boys who, 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 who ruined your daughter's life, I'll help you out. And then he says this, I'm going to need your help one day. I may not, I may not come back to collect, but if I ever need your help, just make sure you help me. And the guy says, yes, I will, I will, I will, Don. Right? And then they move on. And if you watch the movie, much later, Don Colone's son dies. And this guy is actually an undertaker. He, he, he actually dresses up dead body. So, so he had to do that job, that one last job uh, for the Don, right? God understands, not even understands, God works in relationship of covenant. And part of the covenantal relationship is, a part of it is the language of patronage. And we sometimes think, oh, God gave himself for me for free. I can go and like take everything from him and I can do anything I like. And, I, and there's, there's no expectations of my life. And there's nothing at all. And I can just take, I can just take and take and take from God. I can take His grace. I can take His love. I can take His favor. I can take His blessing. Then 
then essentially prosperity church law. Prosperity church law. I take all your good stuff and I lavish it on myself. Because God is a God who wants to bless me. Because I'm the center of the universe and I'm the apple of His eye and I'm going to be the most important thing for God to bless me because... And then God says, I have expectations of you. I have so many commandments in the Bible that I have not forgotten and I did not wipe all that out. The blood of the, on the cross did not wipe out all those commandments so that today you have zero expectations. You do. And I'm going to spend, I'm spending a little bit more time on this because I feel the need to layer this because we live in times where we think we can just go to God, take all the good stuff and walk away and live our lives as if we don't owe Him any patronage. We do. And that doesn't mean that salvation has a, is, is not free. Salvation is free. It's been paid for us. If, if it's not free, you have to go to the cross. We don't have to go to the cross. That's why that part is free for us. But maybe we need to restore a little bit of this language where we owe God some patronage. And He says this to us, my church. I want to do things in your world. I want to do things in your Jerusalem and in your Judea and in your Samaria. And there are even some things I want to do in your ends of the earth. I need your help. When I come and ask you for help, will you help? Because I helped you before. Huh. Christians got this, I scratch your back, you scratch my back, back type of thing. Not quite. There are nuances to it and maybe if we have, we can sit at the table and talk about it, we can work through the nuances. But maybe sometimes at the pulpit, I end up flattening it just a little bit. I hope I don't. I hope you understand. God has expectations on every single one of us. And so, that's becoming almost like a point for me, right? It's the master point. Biblical hospitality is a call to love. It's a call to stewardship. It's a call to obedience. And I will land on that right at the end. But first, I want to jump you in on the call to love. Hospitality is a biblical call to love, right? Above all, says Peter to the churches. He's writing to the churches from prison. He's, he's a man in persecution. He says, above all. Meaning there's nothing above this, huh? Because to love God is to love your neighbor and to love your neighbor is like loving God, right? And Peter understands this. He understands that you can't love God without loving your neighbor and likewise. And he says, above all, love each other deeply. Not just love each other superficially, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. We memorized that line. We didn't memorize the next line. The next line is, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Without grumbling, I think that's important as well, right? Because sometimes it's like, uh, uh, ABC, uh, uh, I have to host ABC, DEF, GHI, you know? And so I have to spend two days cleaning, I have to do the floors, I have to do this, I have curtains very dirty, because I have to do the curtains, I have this, I have that. And you're like, and you grumble your whole way. Peter says, it's good that you're, hospital you're, that you're doing hospitality, but can you, can you like do it without grumbling? You know? Because, because, Love each other deeply. Deep love does not grumble. Deep love cherishes the fact that someone's coming over for dinner. 
Each of you should use whatever gift you have received. I'll talk about this when we talk about stewarding, right? Stewardship. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace. We steward money. We steward friendships. We steward opportunities. We steward our resources. And we steward God's grace. Guys, God's given you grace. Steward that grace. What are you doing with the grace of God? Hold your hand out again. Imagine you're holding grace. Hold your hand out. Hold your hand out. Imagine you're holding grace. What are you doing with this grace? This favor of God, this remission of sins, this love, this, this ferocious love He has for you, what are you doing with it? Are you stewarding it? Or are you just consuming it for yourself? Because to steward it is to steward it on behalf of someone else so that you can pass it on and that grace can be passed on in a good way. I'm a recipient of someone stewarding grace and love and care because I once received the hospitality of people who loved me and, and cared for me. This is a picture of my first cell leaders. This is Fui, this is Angie, and at that time, they only had two kids. This is Ethan, Aiden, and then later they had uh, two more kids, right? Um, and so, but this is how I remember them best because when I was a young cell member, this is how they look, right? With, with, with like two young kids. They just got married, you know. And they used to host me in their house, okay. Um, they, have a, they have a house in, in, in Hatamas, right. And we used to have cell there. And, and Fuji used to tell me, Fergus, like, you know what? At the time, I was single. At the time, I was the worst guest. The worst guest in the world. I don't know how to be guest. I grew up in a home where we didn't have a lot of traffic coming in and out of my home, right? So, so we, we had a pretty big house. It was generally kept very clean, very, very, very tidy, but we didn't have a lot of traffic coming in. So I want to acknowledge that all of us come from different cultures of hosting people. Some, and I married a, a, a woman whose house was like, had so much traffic of people coming in and out, in and out, in and all their friends will like pass through like the wind, like open window one side, open window one side, and their friends just like blow right through constantly. Of course, I exaggerate, right? I'll share more stories about, about Thalia's uh, um, family later. But I didn't grow up with this. So I was the worst guest. So I remember once um, Fui asked me to, uh, um, like we're, we're having some, uh, some of the other cell members were makaning as well. And he asked me um, to bring like, oh, since there's rice and dishes, can you bring a veg? <laughs> the worst, the worst. I don't even think Atelia knows this story. Outside my house, at the time, no Chinese restaurant, okay? So I drive by um, on the way to sell, and there's a Lotus restaurant, Indian restaurant. I go in, and they have all their different, like, their, their, their banana leaf rice, and then there's one dish, which is like this muddy, uh, ochre-colored veg. And I just like... And I brought that, and everyone else brought like Chinese dishes with rice, and I brought like like a, a veg that totally didn't you know jive in terms of the there was no culinary value to that combination lah. That's all I will say lah. Okay, and and you know what? I don't know if anyone ate that because that would have been great if the spread was banana leaf, you know. But that just did not work. You know, I was the worst guest, right? Um, I was single. I didn't know 
how to be a guest, but they knew how to be host. And they kept asking me over, uh, come for come for sale early, you know, come and eat dinner with us. And they had just had Ethan uh, in, in those years. And Angie was 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 grappling with being a new mother, you know. And unbeknownst to me, you know, some years later, I would I we ourselves, you know, I would I would get married, I would have my own first kid, I would I would grapple with what it was like to have cell running and a first kid, you know, and all those things myself. But they paved the way and they showed me what it was like to love others and host them at the table, even though there was a lot of other things going on. I used to hear the baby crying and she would have to go upstairs and lie on the kid, you know, and then she would disappear for quite long, you know, and then you'd just be Fuyi and me and we would talk, you know. And I learned what it was like to minister, to bless others, to host people at the table, even in the midst of many other things happening. I am a product of their love. Without Fuyi and Angie, I would not even be in church because they were the ones who chased me when I was in and out of cell. They pursued me and they kept calling me back for dinner after dinner, Wednesday evening after Wednesday evening after Wednesday evening. And through their generous show of hospitality, I stayed in cell grew as a leader and started to reenact some of the love they showed me on others. And, I, and maybe they learned it from someone as well before them. And so we keep paying it forward. Amen. In Hebrews 13, it says, keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. I don't know how keen you guys are to show hospitality to strangers. Let me, let, let me de develop this. For by so doing, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. This is a reference to Abraham, the story I just told you a moment earlier. Now, when I met Athalia, as I, as I briefly previewed to you, I discovered that some people have totally different cultures when it comes to traffic in their house, right? I discovered that um, their front door almost also don't, don't lock one. Yeah, because their friend, they're, they're among the like four kids and like their friends would just show up, you know, um, and then they will host cell. So that they were cell hosting a, 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 a home um, in, their, in their old church, right? Um, and and they would constantly have people around. And one of the things that they did, which was very beautiful, which I think by the time I joined, uh, uh, um, kind of like their family started dating her, uh, they weren't doing this. But on, on several, one or two Christmases, I think it was two Christmases, um, a family, Christmas family dinner, yeah, bukan gamba sebena, right? But I made it a point, I made it a point to pick a picture where there's lots of fruits, there's nuts, there's a lot of healthy kind of like cold cuts because if you go um, to a family house um, or, you, or you eat with a family, likely you're going to eat like good, healthy Western food, right? Okay? And so, and so they used to do Christmas dinners and they would invite all the outstation college students who don't have family uh, um, uh, to go for. And that spoke very, that spoke to me, you know, because um, I don't know if I've told you all this story before. There was one particular Christmas I was serving um, on broadcast or, or on media in SIB, and I think it was 2004, okay? And we had 
the Christmas service in Eastin Hall because our, our, our CP Tower Hall was not big enough, right? And so I was on the camera duty and I served that day and I did all the camera shooting and all kind of things and then I went back to CP Tower. There was our old building, right? The Bangunan Siemens next to uh, Bangunan Yin, right? And I locked the, the, the camera and I put everything away. I was in the media team, so I had the media cabinet key, you know? I locked everything, left, and Christmas morning, I drove home alone. Everyone else, at least it felt to me, uh, everyone else had Christian families to go home to, to have Christmas lunch with. You know, here I was, single, a Christian convert, and they're all my friends and all my church family until Christmas Day. And on Christmas Day, it becomes Oh, sorry, we got our own family lunch. Oh, sorry, we got our own family dinner. Oh, sorry, we got our own family thing. And everyone goes off to their own family things. And I felt like a Christmas orphan. And I started calling myself that, right? And I started to identify, like, how, how many other Christmas orphans are there, right? Like, and I know some of you, a bit girly, use this word because, like, oh, there are no orphans in the kingdom. We're all children of God. I get it. Okay, I get it. <laughs> I thought of myself that way because I didn't have parents who were Christian. I didn't have a family in KL who celebrated Christmas. And so, every Christmas, everybody have their families. I felt that I didn't have a family. I felt that I was, as I sometimes say, a floating pixel in the universe. You know, I had no one to belong to on Christmas Day. And so, I didn't like Christmas. I wish, I, I can't wait for Christmas to be over. Then all my, all my church friends become my friends again. Because on Christmas Day, they are not so much my friends, they are their own family's family, you know, and everybody goes off to their own thing. And so when I found out that a Thales family did this, I felt like, oh my gosh, family after my own heart, right? <laughs> like, like, like I, I, I like people like that. I like people like that, you know? And I started to think that maybe one day, I will host Christmas, so-called Christmas orphans, on Christmas Day. You know, um, because, and I say this now, okay, not, I'm not throwing the gauntlet down on, on ourselves for this year, um, but this is something I personally want to reach, a point where I can open up my home for those who do not have family, who do not have family here, who are Christians. And so Christmas night is just like, it's a non-event for you because everyone else gets to do their thing except you, right? I want us to be the kind of church. And the burden maybe shouldn't just fall on us, Maybe the burden should be shouldered by all of us. Maybe, right? For us to, to host each other. Now, I want to shout out to the singles. I know when we talk about hosting, you know, people and having meals together, opening up your home. If you're single, you live with your parents, you probably don't have the liberty to saja saja say, I want to host people in my home, you know. Uh, some of you do, and you can say that, um, <laughs> you, you, can, you can say, mom, dad, I'm hosting 40 people in my home every two months, you know, it's going to be a wild party, and mom and dad will hide in the room, you know, while, 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 while their son has their party, and maybe some homes, <laughs> some parents are super generous that way and that's great that's great you know and if your parents are like that please you know host your friends right but sometimes your parents are like uh, no right you know like like go makan outside if you're single and you can't quite open up your home the way uh, you otherwise would hospitality means going out it means booking somewhere and going out taking your friends out blanjang them to a meal or even just doing a potluck somewhere, just do a picnic, go to some public space, you know, everybody just bring food together and makan together. There are ways around it. And if you want 
um, um, more ideas, you can talk to us because we, are, we, we love talking about eating together, right? And so this is something that's very close and dear to my heart, right? Um, I'm going to move on. If I forget anything, you can cue me, okay? Yeah. Um, I'm going to, I turn this off, put it in my pocket. All right. Um, when the scribes were Pharisees saw that Jesus, right, was eating with sinners and tax collectors and prostitutes also, by the way. So he was eating with really taboo type peoples. They asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Why does he do this? I, I, I thought, you know, the Jewish people of his time, of course, it's, it's laxed over the centuries and the millennia, but it, until, actually, until not too long ago, Jewish people will not eat with anybody else. Why? Because they are very strict kosher dietary requirements. You don't just simply eat. And today we see a version of it with our Muslim friends who may not just simply sit down and eat in any old place because their halal requirements are quite strict. And Jesus was eating with people that socially he should not be eating with, right? Why? Jesus ate with sinners. Jesus ate with all kinds of people who did not align with him. They may not have aligned with him morally. I think we're quite clear about that. They didn't align with him socially, culturally. They didn't, they didn't share the same references. They certainly weren't as learned as each other, right? Um, they, uh, Jesus definitely uh, uh, um, uh, mixed on a day-to-day uh, or at least he engaged in a different way. But Jesus' answer was, I eat with them because it, I came for the sick. And it is not those who are well uh, um, uh, to, who, who need a doctor. It is those who are unwell. Now, I want to put this to all of us. As I became at Sungai Bulo. Hospitality is not just gathering with your same old gang of your favorite Christian friends over and over and over and over again. That's not hospitality. I mean, that's just that's your gang. And it's okay. You, you need time with your gang. Go for it. I have my gangs too, right? I have my old friends and I gather with them and they're Christian and blah, blah. It's fine. But hospitality is different. Hospitality is when you open up your home for people who may not be so well, who may not have it all together. People who may not align with you, they may not agree with you on how you're going to vote, on how you're going to, to do to, to, to even your faith. They may not agree with you on LGBT. They may not agree with you on abortion. They may not agree with you on racial issues. They may not agree with you on money. They may not agree with you on so many things. But do they have a place at your table? Or sign on the door says, no you know, no X, no Y, no, no, no Z, and no dogs allowed in here. That's like, no, right? We are Christians. We are called to love deeply. We are called to open our doors. We are called to have a place at our table for those who are unwell. Now, just a word of caution. There are some people who are so unwell, it's not safe for you to have them around you, okay? I'm not talking about that. I think I don't want to go into that. Okay, there's a discernment and wisdom needed. If you're not sure, talk to someone. Okay, some people are just not safe to have around. But other than that, hospitality means opening up your home or opening up your life 
so that you can share table and share food with someone. And through that relationship, show them what you have learned about Jesus. Show them where the Lord has led you. Amen? I've shared with you, hospitality is a biblical call to love. It is also a biblical call to stewardship. I want to share a few points about what you can steward and how you can go about taking care of the things God. By the way, your home, God gave it to you, huh? just so you know. Huh? It's not yours. God gave you your home. It's not yours. It is the blessing of God. And if you understand the language of patronage, which I took some time and some pains to work through, he says to you, I give that to you. I actually want to use it. I gave it to you so that you can steward it for me. Right? It's a little bit like if you're an, if you're an investor and you, and, you, and you find someone who's going to invest your money, you give the money to them and you say, invest this money for me, you know? And you're going to come to back to your, to, to your banker and you're going to say, I want to see what you're doing with it. I actually have expectations about what you're doing with this money, right? Don't just, you're not just giving it to you so that you can keep it, transfer it to your own bank account so that you can live lavishly off my investment. I didn't invest into you. I invest through you. And so God says, I gave you a home, okay? I have expectations about how I, I want to use that home. I want to use that home. You may not want to use that home the way I want to use that home, but I gave you that home. And I want to use it. I'm looking for people who are soft in my hands, who I can shape so that your heart for your home and God's heart for, God, for your home is the same heart. So that that home, there is alignment between God's heart and the owner's heart. And then when God and the owner have the same heart for how that home can be used, God can use that home. And you can use that home to become a bright city on a hill. And then many people can be attracted and they can flow through it and be blessed by it. Your home is not yours. And so sometimes you will say, Ayo, cannot lah. My, my, my house very small. My house is very small and very messy. Very messy. Cannot, I cannot host because my house is not suitable. You know? Um, I know some people, their house is very big and they got made. I don't have made, you know. So I cannot I cannot show hospitality. This is not my thing, right? I want to share with y'all that. When Athelia and I got married, now I'll be sharing some of stories. I can't share your stories, so I, sometimes I share my story, okay? Um, forgive me if it sounds like, yeah, he talked about himself only. Actually, it's because I don't have the... the, the I, I can't share your stories for you. If I know some of your stories, I perhaps could. But I'm sharing with you the stories I have, and I'm sure many of you have similar stories as well. When I was... Uh, when we just got married, <laughs> that's, that's us... Newlyweds, okay, um, hosting in our first home. It was a 900 square foot walk-up apartment in Subang Jaya, right? If you all know Section 17, uh, um, SS17 is Lafitte Apartment, right? That's me being a goofball. That's Tay uh, looking very pleased with um, the spread of sausages, uh, sunny side up, tomatoes, and scrambled eggs that she's laid at the table. And there are two other plates, and you can see the hip of a friend of ours. We are hosting two friends here, and one of them took the photo. The house was tiny. Can I tell you that? 900 square feet, and it was narrow, and I mean, I won't even call it longish, because 
to call 900 square feet long is, 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 is a mockery of long. But you see the wall here, like this table is the other wall already. That's it. That's it, like, like this stage, right? No, it's not this stage, but, but it was really small. And we hosted many people in this home. We even hosted cell leaders, our course to come and do discipling sessions. Here, we hosted two friends for breakfast. We would cook on this little stovetop and then we would lay out food and we'll spend time together, right? And that's, that was life for us in a small, humble place. The more I look at this picture, the more I, 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 I love it because I remember those good old days um, in that home. Now, we did our best. Of course, we made sure the place was a bit tidy. We would clean up before. We would tidy up before. You know, we, 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 I don't think we are the sort of go overboard. Um, and sometimes if we do, we check ourselves, you know. Um, hospitality is not about going overboard over, about your house. I'll talk about that in a moment. But it was also in this house. Um, I remember that we hosted Daniel Cole, right? We hosted DK when DK had just come back from Australia and he was still single and he was, I think he had just gotten his first job yeah, um, in KL. How many of you all remember DK? Uh, can you just give me a wave of hands because many of us are new, okay? Daniel Koh is, uh, um, uh, was one of the fellow church planters who started this church. Um, he worship led, he preached as well, you know, and that was, that, that's Daniel Koh then. This was Daniel Koh very early when he had just, around the time when, when he came to our house. This is not in our house, but I found this picture in my Facebook and that's Isobel. That's, that's easy, right? It's easy as um, in December. Um, so easy was uh, October, November, two months old. Easy was two months old. DK held her, you know, when he came back that year. Of course, I had no idea that after hosting him in our tiny apartment, you know, um, and, and, and just welcoming him back to KL after many years in Australia, you know, that years later, we would plant church together and, and this... This here is a product of many years ago, a friendship that was just maintained, you know, it wasn't fabulously maintained, but it was maintained just a little bit here and there through a meal over a table, you know, and being part of each other's lives through having a newborn. Uh, um, and until today, we remember that, that, that meal, right? And our children get to grow up with Uncle DK and Auntie Rach, right? Um, and this is the kind of, this is what I mean when God says, when God says He wants you to steward your home. He's stewarding your home to create relationships and memories of love so that in the years to come, God can continue to take it and use it and do much with it. But it all begins, it all begins at the front door and then at the dining table. You see that or not, church? Yeah? Sometimes you may say that, yo, my home, my house is not presentable, lah. Cannot, lah. You know, very stressful one, you know. Want to do hospitality, very stressful one, you know. Um, hospitality is not the same as entertaining, by the way. It's not the same thing, huh? Entertaining is, is about you and your house. When you entertain guests, it's about, you know, you come to my house, right? I have to, I have to entertain you, so I've got to have a nice house. Hospitality is not so much about you and your house. It's more about them and their lives. So the focus is totally different. It's about them. You want to pay attention to them. Now, when you're entertaining, the focus is on what you serve, right? You want to make sure the food comes out right. And it's not just the food. You also want to make sure that the aircon is right. You want to make sure the music is playing softly in the background. Make sure you play suitable things. Don't play gangster rap, you know. Um, uh, you want to make sure that everything is, is 
fitting and suitable. And so you're stressed out and you're focused on what you are, what you are serving them, right? What you're bringing before them. Guys, when you show hospitality, the focus is on your time spent together. And so, if you, even you see this and this, you see that there is a Mary of Bethany here and a Martha of Bethany here. I don't need you to be Martha. Or for that matter, I don't need you to be Martha Stewart in order to, be, to show hospitality. I just need you to open up your home and focus on the people who come through your doors. When you entertain, at best, surfacial, small talk, how things, oh, housework, oh yeah, busy like this, and then suddenly politics ready, and then suddenly economy ready, right? And it's very, when you show hospitality, you go to deeper conversations. And maybe one day we can, we can do a, even a, a little workshop on how we can actually host and go deeper, right? That's just my dream, that we can do something like that to help us all do this better. When you entertain, am I right? When they leave, you feel very drained. Or when you go and someone just entertains you, you walk off and you go to your car and you feel a little drained as well. But when you show hospitality, it leaves you feeling replenished. There's just some joy, some satisfaction, something just deep in the pits of your heart that feels like, that was good. That was just good. That's really nice. We should do it. Why don't we do this more often, right? And then, then, then you have to, you know, manage yourself, like, you know, because your energy may not allow you to do this all the time. But certainly, church, set aside time for it. Set aside time for it. You know, one of the things I've told the leaders before, and I said this to y'all last year when I preached, um, and I'm telling y'all again, we have one night of cell group, right? If you're in a cell, Yourselves, maybe on Monday night, maybe on Wednesday night, maybe on Friday night, you know, um, with one night of cell group. There is no prayer altar at night other than election, uh, uh, eve of election. There is no, our dominant altar is on Saturday morning. Our leaders' meetings will be on Saturday mornings. I don't take much of your nights. I purposely don't take much of your nights. Worship team doesn't even do a rehearsal on Thursday nights. We don't take up your nights. You want to know why I've set up this church so that I don't keep taking up your nights? So that you have time to host people for dinners. So that you can't come to me and say, Pastor, I can't host people because your church calendar is so full. Yeah? Monday night got this, Tuesday night got this, Wednesday night got self, Thursday night got rehearsal, Friday night got discipling session, and then, and then. Like, no, no you, you, you can say that other people, I don't know, I don't know, maybe they do, maybe they don't. That's not, you can't say that about this place because I've set it up so that you can host people. I want you to do this. And God wants you to do this. He's given you their home. He has expectations about how you use it. Maybe some of you say it's a personality. Oh yeah, cannot lie. Cannot lie. Because I'm, I'm introvert. Have you heard that before? Oh, you're extroverts, very good. Y'all can like, you know, host things. Y'all can talk forever and all that, you know. Hey, I tell you, huh, as someone who's borderline introvert, extrovert, I can tell you that pure extroverts, you know what's our Achilles heel? We don't really know how to go deep, huh? We're not very, we, we, we trend towards entertaining because we are just entertainers, right? Like, we are extrovert, each other. Yeah, social butterfly. Oh my God, nice to see you. And they're like, boom, 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 boom. Like, you know what? There's not a lot of depth in there. And we envy you introverts 
for being able to have longer, meaningful conversations because we don't have the patience, we don't have the courage, we don't have the stability sometimes, the social stability to be able to sit in one conversation and then probe and go deeper. I want to say this to all you introverts, you are the perfect people to show hospitality because you have all the natural wiring to be able to sit in a small group, just three, four people, and then have a deep, meaningful conversation. But of course, if you're an extrovert, you have the, all the chops to go out there and make the first move. Be the one to greet at the door. Be the one to bring them in, to sit them down while dinner is still halfway being you know, completed. You can do some of those things if you're a household, work together. If you don't, if, you're, if, you, if you feel that you are handicapped in some way, ask one friend along, right? Who actually can be very different from you, right? And, and like, hey, guess what? If I'm super introverted and I just want to sit in the kitchen and just make the food and then bring it out, I'll ask Andros to come for this thing. And I'll be like, Andros, can you, uh, I'm hosting X and Y, you know, can you help me host, you know, um, because I need, I need you to be my connect team, right? And then Andros will be there, he'll greet them at the door, he'll sit down with them, he'll talk with them. I'll get Jack Ng as well, right? Like Jack Ng will do that, like he'll be, he'll be perfect at it, right? He'll, he'll have 20,000 conversations with them. Like some people are just good at that. And, but you know what? Being an introvert, is not an excuse. God shaped you as an introvert for reason, and He also has expected. He wants you to steward your introversion. Okay, I have to move on. Food. Some of you be like, oh, yeah, food so expensive, uh, uh, um, so susa. I don't know how to cook. I don't know how to cook. Famous one. Some of y'all don't have an excuse. The other alasan. Okay, <laughs> and I know y'all do it so so good, right? I know some of you here really host, and you're single and you host, you're married and you host, and I think this is so good, right? Now I want to share with y'all just a little anecdote about food, um, and and bringing people around, right? This is. These are just gratuitous pictures of my children and the food that we've laid on our table while we hosted people before. Um, that's, that's like mushrooms and sourdough. Actually, it's not that expensive. That's easy uh, um, um, uh, sorting the mushrooms, you know. Um, these two, we didn't even cook them, okay? This is like nasi dagang. Um, this is like, like patin tempoya that we buy from our neighborhood. We go out, we buy, we have it ready. Our friends come, you know, we sit down and we eat. Right, um, And the reason I'm showing you this is because I just want to share a little testimony. I hope it doesn't come off in the wrong way. Um, without intending it, we just always have the culture of hosting with our children around. Right, Our children are just always around. I remember doing pre premarital counseling sessions with Lionel and Rachel. And which kid was it? Elliot, right? Eleanor was just born. Eleanor was, we were pregnant with Eleanor and the, the, the older two were, were very young. And we've always hosted like that with these three, these three lovely monkeys uh, monkeying around, right? Um, um, and, and, and unbeknownst to me, they left an impression on my friends. I would say more they, okay? But I guess us as, as a family, we, we inadvertently left an impression on them, right? Because I know that we have friends who told themselves that I, I don't think I will ever have kids. Um, I don't think it's right for me. Um, some people will say, probably have never sat down in a functional home and had a meal where mother, father, and children are talking nicely with each other and have a proper relationship with each other. Some, some people don't know that. All they know is dinner table, 
mother and father don't talk to each other. One of them will eat early and walk away. Uh, or, or halfway through, sure, got shouting. And then one of them will go slam door, go, go out or go in the room or eat in quiet. After that, go out drinking with friends. Like some, some people do not and have never experienced. And it might even be you. Never experienced a really functional home with functional mom and dad or functional friends who can sit around and eat normally. And unbeknownst to us, Every, while we were hosting our friends and having our kids around and then they would mess, they would spill things, we have to clean up and I didn't realise they were watching us. They were watching us parent, they were watching us host, they were watching our children and some of them, in fact, I think we, 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 we can think of two who explicitly told us at one point that we are not going to be the, the right kind of people to have kids. Like We won't have kids, right? We've decided we won't. Over time, they, they got married and they had kids and actually at some point they told us that actually y'all made a difference. Watching you two parent and seeing your kids, it moved our needle a bit because it made us feel that actually this could be, this could be fun. This could be nice. This could be something that we would like for ourselves. Or rather, this is doable. I think I might not be such a bad parent after all. right? And that moved some people into major life decisions. And I want to share this with you, not to blow our own horn, because we didn't know what we were doing. Like, like forgive, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That was us, okay? We didn't know what we were doing. But it still left an imprint. And I want to share this with you. God has put an imprint in you with a way you live your life, with a way you've ordered your home, imperfect as it may be, still, in its own way, godly. Godly. And God wants your imprint to be left on other people. He wants that. Which is why He's taken you on a journey. And which is why I want to take us to this, right? Whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. Your home, your everything is for God. Christmas is coming soon. And I want to share with you our little Game plan for Christmas, okay? Do I have a game plan? Yes, I have a game plan. I'll share with you my game plan for Christmas, okay? For church, this is what we're going to do. On 25th December, which is a Sunday, so Christmas is a Sunday, we're going to have a family fun day, okay? Currently, we have a proposal sitting in the building management here on their inbox where they are hopefully considering us using the ground floor concourse you know, where laundry bar is and where the mama is and all that, to use that open air space as a family fun day. But even if they tell us no, we'll have it here. Okay, and we'll invite everyone down here. So it's happening. We're having a family fun day. Done deal. Okay, if it's not there, it's here. Hopefully it can be there. Okay, we're having a family fun day. So there's no traditional Christmas service on Christmas morning. Okay, we're having a fam- fun day. People are going to come. It's going to be low pressure. It's going to be easy entry. Okay? Even if you're not Christian, you've got misgivings about Christians, it's just a fun day, right? And it's a public holiday and it's Christmas, right? And there'll be Christmas carols and fun and makan and a bit of retail maybe, you know, and, and Christmas and, and, and like games, you can win prizes, that kind of thing. Invite them, all the people we meet on a fun day for our New Year's Day service, which New Year's Day also happens to fall on a Sunday. Invite them to start the new year together, right? Invite them so that just maybe they can start the year with God visiting their lives. But you can play a role in that. 
I want to tell you how you play a role in that. Not just in, we are going to have a committee to run this, okay? But um, today I'm not recruiting this committee. Today I'm telling you that you have a role to play. Your role is in November and December, host a friend. If you can open up your home, host a friend in your home. If you can't cook, buy home, host a friend. If you can't host them at home, host them outside. Do a weekend picnic thing, right? Go makan. Just and the new restaurant I discovered, right? Just bring them somewhere. Host a friend once, twice, one friend, two, three friends, and then invite them for the fun day. We'll take it from there, right? So your role is to do this. And our role for the rest of our days in church is to just keep doing that and to keep doing that and grow in doing that, get better at doing that, and then who knows what imprints you leave behind. i tell you something as I close. God is looking for obedient children. He says, for I have given you an example that you also should just should do just as I have done for you. This was the washing of the feet. He said, I do, I wash your feet. I'm looking for you to wash each other's feet as well. And then he says this, I give you a new command, love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. The Great Commission will be at work in your life when you love one another. How? Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. He's looking for obedience. And so, my friends, I'm going to close on this. Can I have the worship team up? God is looking for this. I'm going to be explicit with you. He wants people who are lost to find home. He wants people who are not in church to find home. He wants people who are not in Christ to find home. And he says, I want them to come home through coming through your home. You are going to help them find home. And so in a moment, not just worship, but I want the communion emblems to be passed because when we partake of the Lord's Supper, it is a remembrance that Jesus hosts us. You know, the Lord's Supper, Jesus hosts us. I mean, it was Mark's mother's, you know, kind of like upper room, but it was Jesus hosting that dinner. As the emblems are being passed around, I want you to hold this and say, I remember the Lord's Supper. I remember that at the Lord's Supper, the disciples broke bread with Him. And today, He wants to keep using occasions like the Lord's Supper so that more disciples can break bread together. And so that people who are lost can be found, people who are floating around like lost pixels, so to speak, can find a place to belong. And so, church, as you hold these emblems, let us remember the sacrifice of Jesus. And not just His sacrifice, but the words that He said, which should not scare you, it should give you comfort. You are no longer your own. If you partake this, my friends, I want to make this solemn. If you partake this, you are not your own. 
If you partake this with us today, you are bought with a price. And God has a say in how we live. I don't normally take this stone. You all know me. But I feel I will be shortchanging the power of the message of the gospel if I don't share it with you today this way. If you partake of His body and you say His body, His blood in me, mingling as one, I do this in remembrance of Him. If you do this, you are not your own. You've been bought with a price. And He wants you to steward all the things you have, whether you eat, whether you drink, to the glory of God. Take a moment and even rest in that truth. Lord Jesus, on the night He was betrayed, took bread. After He had given thanks, He said, This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So we pray, Lord Jesus, we thank you that your body was broken to save us from unimaginable torture and pain and, and failure and every, and every dark, bad thing. And you've lifted us out of darkness, set our feet upon a rock and pronounced upon us a blessing and a future of hope and life, abundant life. Lord, thank you. As I partake this bread, I commit my life to you completely. And I say, help me. Help me to steward every part of my own bread to the glory of my Saviour. Let us partake of this bread. After supper had ended, he took the cup and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant, a new promise in my blood. Do this as often as you gather. Do this in remembrance of me. Father, we thank you for the cup which represents and reminds us of your blood, which covers us and makes us whole. We thank you for the cup and the wine which reminds us of the power of the Holy Spirit, which enables us to do difficult things, enables us to go to frontiers that we are, we are uncomfortable in going to, and enables us, gives us strength to love each other deeply, to break bread with each other, even as we have just broken bread with you right now. Thank you for this cup. Let us partake of this cup together. Father, we thank you, Lord, that once we were sojourners, once we were aliens, once we were homeless, but you led us to a safe dwelling place. And today, we count the shadow of the cross our home. We, come the, we count as home the shelter of the Almighty, we count as home this family of faith that we have. Lord, thank you.
that today we can partake of communion together and remember that we are safe within my Savior's arms. Thank you that we are right back where I belong. For in Christ is truly right where we belong. Yes, Lord. And we pray now, Lord, in closing, for you, through the power of the discerning power of the Holy Spirit, to just release one name of one friend. Holy Spirit, give us an impression, one name, one friend, or one couple, someone whom you want us to host in this season. Thank you, Lord. Church, I believe the Lord is giving an impression to you right now. I just want you to hold on to that and keep praying into it. And the lyrics of this song, we don't have to sing it again. I just want to say it out. Home. Can this be what they will say to their father after this Christmas? Home. I know now I am home. Safe within my Savior's arms. Right back where I belong. Home. I'm forgiven. Home. come home, you can play a part in a lost son and in a lost daughter coming home. First, with our homes. Amen. Father, we thank you. Separate us now with your blessing, Lord. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn His countenance toward you and give you His peace. And all of God's people say, Amen. Amen. Let's give God praise. Let's give God praise.